they got better. Good. The Lord has a specific message for us from His Word. As I said before, it's His agenda, not ours. And so, when we come across specific subjects, we need to be paying attention. Because that is what God will want us here today. So, as we turn to the book of First Peter again, verses 22 to 25. Read with me what God would have us here today. 1 Peter 1 verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. That's the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. In 2008, in America, as usually we illustrate from, as lots of interesting things always happen there, a church member sued his own church for a million US. The reason? He didn't like the colour of the carpets they were going to put in. And he was a foundation member of that church, and he had decided maroon carpets was what was supposed to be in there, and now they were changing to blue. And so he wanted his money back that he'd put in over all those years. So he sued them church member to the body of Christ. This verse, these verses we're going to look at today cause us to live a lifestyle that's different from that of non-Christians. But here's the rub. In the church, we have to live different lifestyles inside the body, never mind out there. You see, it's a painful fact that God's people don't always get along with each other. Yes, we have our arguments. Yes, we have divisions. And sadly, those divisions sometimes lead to church splits. Sometimes the strongest opposition and the heart sword to the believer comes from right inside the body. That's a sad fact. And that is why a lot of people walk away from church, disgusted. And we're going to see what God's Word says to them as well. But God, God's Word calls us to a higher standard of living. When unbelievers look at us, they need to know, man, those people live a life I could never hope to achieve. God's calling us to that standard, His standard. And so, as we've been looking in verses 13 to 21, if you just want to glance down at our text, we've been looking at principles for holy living. And all those principles we've been looking at so far have had to do with our vertical relationship with God. If I can call it vertical. God is all, all place everywhere at the same time. But I'm talking about our upward life to Him, all right, as opposed to our sideways life to each other. We've been looking at these principles that have to do with our living before the Lord Himself. And the five principles have been starting in verse 13, that we are to deliberately set our hope on and in 
God's grace. That was the first principle for holy living. The second one was found a little further down in verse 16. We are to live holy lives before God as children of obedience. That is, children who have new natures. Children who want to be obedient to their father. And children who are vigilant to see that the world doesn't squeeze us into its mold. Children who want to be obedient to God, who's given us the command, be holy as I am holy. That was the second principle. The third principle for holy living before God was found in verse 17. Look at that verse. If we are, that we are to live holy, obedient lives in the fear of God. Because we know that we are living before an all-knowing Father who will also judge us as believers at His return. Not for the bad that we've done as believers, but for the good that we've done for Him. We saw that from the Greek word. And then fourthly, verses 18 to 21, last time we saw that we are to live holy lives because we know that we have been ransomed. Precious blood, the blood of God's only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was shed for us. We have been ransomed. And so that describes our vertical dimension of holy living before God. And today we're going to start looking at what does that mean, faith lived out in practice? What does that mean towards our fellow believers, towards those outside the church that we come into contact with? You see, if you've been born again, holiness will lead to change, which will lead to obedience to God, which will lead to affecting those around you as well. Holiness is practical. It's not just spiritual and intangible. Holiness leads to actions. And the startling fact is that if we are not seeing any result of our holiness in the practical everyday living, then we've got to come back to our hearts, come back to the Lord and say, Lord, have I really been changed? Because I'm seeing nothing happening through my life or in my life. Have I been changed? Jesus said, and you should know this verse off by heart already, because I nearly say it every Sunday here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments or obey my commandments. And what is the specific commandment we've looked at today? That we are to love one another. That's what we're going to look at today. So the question comes up, how are we to love one another? practically in obedience to this new life we've been given. What does it actually look like in practice? What does this new life look like through my heart, through my mouth, through my hands, through my feet? How am I to have, and I've called it, action love, as opposed to just idea love? Do you get the difference? Some of us know all about it. It's idea love. But has it become action love? So we're going to be looking at action love today. And the Apostle Peter, in this text, verses 22 to 25, splits this up into three sections in the text. And I've labeled this, action love purifies, firstly. Secondly, he emphasizes that action love is mutual, it gives and receives. And then thirdly, he explains that action love is undying. It carries on and on and on until Christ comes again. So firstly, action love purifies. Let's look at verse 22a. It says there, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls 
for a sincere love of the brethren. That's an interesting statement there. Said in another translation, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, literally, so that you have a sincere brotherly love. So the first concept he's looking at in verse 22 is this concept of purification. He uses specifically this Old Testament technical term for ceremonial purification of the people as they went to the priests day by day, week by week, with the offerings. It was a repeated process of washings and rituals so that they could be purified before God. But why does he use a specific word here? Is he saying that now in 2010 we've got to go back to all these rituals and ceremonial purification? Is he saying that? No. He's saying, having purified your souls, in other words, he's looking back to a specific event in the past that has a present day reality. What is that specific event in the past? Peter's saying, have you been born again? And if you've been born again, then you've been made spiritually pure. You see, on that day that you received new life, Jesus Christ put His love into you. He took your vileness from from you. He took that onto Him. And he took you, a helpless sinner. He poured his love out on you. And he granted you forgiveness. Has that sunk in? The moment you and I were born again, our souls were purified by faith from God. Acts chapter 15 verse 9 says it this way. It says, He, that is Jesus Christ, cleansed their hearts by faith. You see, Christ has done the purification at our rebirth. We need to understand that. Nothing I can do can make me pure before God unless Christ has done it already. Have we got that clear? So what I'm going to say now is based on that. You've got to be pure in Christ before you can be obedient. Otherwise, if you try and be obedient without having Christ in your life, you are just going through meaningless ritual. However, Peter uses a specific word to say that there is also a human responsibility. In other words, a constant purification that has to happen in us. A day-by-day cleansing from sin. You see, once we are born again, we are made pure. But then, it comes down on us, after that, to live pure lives before God. How do we do that? By coming before Him daily, asking for forgiveness, being cleansed, and then carry on living in obedience before Him. You see, we need to come back to God daily for cleansing. There's a moral purity demanded of us in this text. Because why? We've got a personal relationship with the Holy God, who in verse 16 said, Be holy because I am holy. That's a high standard he's calling us to. How are we to be cleansed and purified? By our obedience to the truth. Which truth? The truth of God. Not any old truth, the truth of God. Obedience is the word here. And it's an interesting word, the word obedience. I've mentioned it before. It's a two, it's a compound word. Obedience means I hear something and I put myself under that as an authority. That's what their word means. In other words, I submit myself to what I hear from God's word. 
I'm sure you know what, what it's like in the home. Teenagers, I can pick on you a bit this morning. I've seen a few teenage rooms. Your mother comes past your room, she takes a second look, she's shocked in horror and she says, now listen. I can see a few teenagers dropping their heads. She says, listen, by the end of today, that room is tidy. Have you heard me? You know when you hear that, she's meaning it, alright? Now, when she says, have you heard me? She's not saying, Samantha, did you hear words coming out my mouth? She's not saying, Samantha, I was speaking English. Did you understand the English that I'm speaking to? No. What, is, what she's meaning there is, yes, you should have heard words coming out of my mouth and you should have understood them, otherwise we're going to carry on sending you to school. But, what we want you to do is, I want you to activate your will to submit to my authority and to actually do what I'm saying. That's what that word hearing means. It's a doing word. Teenagers, you all understand that one? So next time your mother says, clean your room, it's a doing word. It's not just idea word. Alright? But it's the same intent here. When we read God's word, he says, now, it's not just a hearing word. It's a doing word. So when he says we are to love each other, guess what? It's not just an idea. We are to love each other. It's a doing word. You see, we can only purify ourselves through obedience to God and to His Word. How do we do that? Through the enabling of the Holy Spirit who makes it possible in our lives. But here's a warning to you today, all of us, not just to the teenagers. God will not cleanse you and I as believers. He will not make us pure if we appear before Him in a state of willful disobedience. If you come before God in a state of willful disobedience and say, please make me pure, He will not do it. Because there's an attitude of the heart that needs to be changed first. How do we know that? We see that as an example in the Bible. Plenty of examples in the Bible. One was in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15. We find King Saul and the Amalekites. What happened to King Saul and the Amalekites? God said to him, I want you to go against the Amalekites. I want you to slaughter them. Man, woman, children, beasts, everything that lives, kill them. Did God make any exceptions there? He said, no. Kill everyone before me. We're not going to go into why he said that now. But that was what Saul had to do. And what did Saul do? He used initiative. And he kept the fattest animals out. He kept some of the women out. He kept the king alive. God had said, kill everything living. And then he came before the Lord and he was surprised that God was not pleased at this. And so what did he do? He went one step further with his initiative. He actually built an altar and he said, okay, well, if you're not going to do anything about it, you prophets, then I will come before the Lord. Again, breaking God's commandment, getting himself deeper. And then the, the prophet Samuel confronted him about this. And these are the words that, that he uses to Saul in 1 Samuel 15:22. Listen to this. It has an application to us today. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, God is saying, I don't want your rituals, Saul. 
and you're going through the motions and your pretenses of being holy before me, I want your obedience. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen, that's the doing word, than the fat of rams. That's what you should have done, Saul. That's what we should be doing, believers. You see, the question that comes from this text, and we're only in 22a, alright? It will go faster, but that's where we are now. Are you and I trying to live morally pretense lives before the Lord today? Are we going through the motions of being believers? Or are we actually living obedient lives before Him? Are we living lives by His truth? What is the specific truth that we are looking at today in our text? Well, it says there, to have sincere brotherly love. In other words, to have a love towards our fellow believers that is genuine and not false. Not to have an unfeigned love. A love that's not just playing a part or acting. He's saying you don't have an actor's love towards each other. What does that look like? I'm going to try and be practical. How are you today? Fine. In those two little statements, there is feigned love. When you say to someone, how are you today? And I know I've done it, I'm guilty. You don't actually, couldn't be bothered how they are, you're just being what? Well-mannered. I'm trying to be well-mannered. Pleasant. How are you today? I'm not actually waiting for a response at all. Oh, I'm fine. Well, no, you're not really. We're going through the motions, aren't we? And how often haven't we done that when we come to church here on a Sunday morning? How are you today, brother? Fine. We're both doing play acting, aren't we? And this text calls us to sincere brotherly love. Be real in your love, in other words. You see, the apostle saying here, Do you want to be pure and obedient before the Lord? Then be genuine in your love towards your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if this is all you hear today, listen to this statement. Don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ as though they are your brothers and sisters in Christ, but love them because they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Peter's calling us to. Don't love them as though they are your brothers. Love them because they are. Do you get the difference? Look around you. If you know that person next to you, or if you rose down, is a believer, then whether you, you like their face or not, their, their dress style or not, doesn't matter. They are your brother and sister in Christ. And the Apostle Peter says, love them. It's a doing word, not an idea word. Do it. Love them. Not now, later. You see, he says, are you genuine or sincere towards them at all? Or is it all an act before men? Why is that so serious? Because God can see straight through us. He can see our hearts. He can see whether you are sincere or insincere. In other words, He can see whether you are being obedient or disobedient to Him. And you know, you males, you try and be insincere or not genuine when you're speaking to a lady. They can pick it up real quick. They can see it in our eyes, in our body language. I don't know what it is, but they can pick it up. I know, I've been there. And you know, when that person, when you're trying to be genuine, when, when, when you're speaking to them and they pick up that you're not even listening to them, that really hurts. It really hurts. Let's be genuine 
in our concern. When you say to someone from here on, and I'm going to hear a lot of it when you walk out of here now or out of there, how are you today? How's the week been? Pay attention. Mean it. And let's show genuine love towards each other. Let's not go through the motions. He carries on. He says, do you want to be pure and obedient before the Lord? Then why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do when you come here to church? Are you sincere about that? When you go home from here and you spend time with your family, why do you do what you do towards them? Do you show them genuine love? Or do you suddenly show them love when someone from church visits? And when they're gone, you sudden, they suddenly see this other creature there. They don't know who he is or she. You see, this is practical. Teenagers, I'm going to pick on you today again. Is your love, if you say you're a believer today, is your love towards your parents genuine? Is it demonstrated in the way you react to them when they ask you to do things? I know, I've had teenagers in the house. Is it seen in the way you willingly and voluntarily help around the house? Is it seen in the way you text about them to your friends when they've come up against you and they're not doing what you want? If you're a Christian, what do you tweet about to your friends, about your parents, about your fellow Christians who now suddenly don't like you today as some of the girls do sometimes and tomorrow they love you again? What do you say about those people if they are believers in your Facebook pages? It's down to practical Christian love, isn't it? You say you're a Christian, let it be seen in your actions, says the Apostle Peter. Actions speak louder than words. You've all heard that old adage. It's very true. Actions speak louder than any words we can ever say. What does the Apostle say? Are you being purified by your obedience to the truth? Verse 22. Secondly, in the second half of that verse, he says, action love is mutual. It gives and receives. Let's look at that. It says, you are to have a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love, now he uses a word here, one another from the heart. Love one another. There are three parts to that statement. He says, love one another, first part, earnestly, second part, and third part, from a pure heart. We're going to shortly look at those. There's a command here to the will, love one another. It's the verb, we've looked at it already. It's a doing word, it's an act. Is this just purely an emotional love we to, to show towards, towards each other? The word love here is rather used as a love which is full of intelligence and understanding coupled with purpose. I know I need to love, I understand what I need to do to love, and therefore I will now love. Do you get it? That's formally put. That's how the process works in the brain. You need to understand what you need to do, and then you need to do it. No, you might not experience feelings of love while you're loving someone. Those will come if you carry on loving that person. You might get those fuzzy feelings. But the Bible says to you and I, love them because it's a command to love. The feelings of love is a byproduct, not the source of the love that I have to show. He says you love one another. Literally be loving one another in the original text. It's a continuous tense action. 
That means over and over and over. It doesn't matter whether you get loved back in return or not. I need to carry on loving. It's an over and over thing. Christian love is not to stop because we are not being loved in return. He says don't love because you are being loved. Love because it is commanded to love. I think we've got that point now. Alright? Secondly, he says, Christian love is not to be a one-way street either. Those expressions of love we show, those practical expressions of love, is not just to come from one person to the other. You know, this is true. There are some of us who are better takers than givers. We can take a lot. We take things like sponges. And yet we never give in return. We never offer up in return. The Apostle Peter says, we are to have a one another love. And then there are other of us who people want to give towards us, but not, we're too proud. We're not going to take this because I don't want to be helped by anyone. You know, that's also a sin before the Lord. We need to learn to receive from others so that God can bless others as they give us. That's also truth. Put your pride in your pocket and learn to receive from others while you are giving. I had to learn that lesson from an unbelieving couple when we first came to New Zealand. They, we were busy camping out in Rapa Nui Road over there in one of those scrum wall houses that the wind blows and the whole wall goes like this. And um, they came to us and they brought us a box of plates. And they said they always want to bring a plate when they visit someone. They brought me a box of plates. And they opened the boot and they said, there's a microwave and there's this and there's that and there's this. We were really camping. And I said to her, listen, Catherine, I can't accept this from you guys. And she said, Calvin, put your pride in your pocket and learn to take. And I'll never forget that. It's a good lesson to learn as believers. Allow others to also give to you and I. But we must be giving as well. He says, he carries on here. He says, love earnestly or fervently. Love, love one another. Verse 22. There's an intensity described there. And it literally means, that, that verse, that word earnestly or fervently means to literally stretch out. To stretch out as far as you can go, till your muscles hurt. And the picture here is of a string that is tightened and tightened, like these musicians had this morning to play the violin. It's not going to make any sound if you don't tighten that string to where it has to be. But it's really tight before it works properly. The picture here is of a horse running at full tilt. You can see those muscles rippling. It can't give anything more of an athlete down the last 100 meter straights as they're running, giving everything. That is how we are to love each other, fervently, from the heart. You see, and this love, which is fervent, is sacrificial. It means I will give despite insult, despite injury, despite misunderstanding. It's a practical love. This type of fervent love is a love that gets in the car and goes and helps someone. It's a love that helps to lift things and to carry things. And I'm not hinting because I'm moving it next week, okay? It's the type of love which costs me from my own pocket and I know I might not get anything in return, but I'm willing to give. That's the type of love He's calling us to. It's the stretched out, a painful love He's calling us to. God commands it of us in this text. And then He says it's a love one another from the pure heart type of love. You see, he's describing the source of our love here. It's to be from our hearts that we love one another, not just from the surface. 
This is a love which is compelled from within. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Some of you knew I was going to go here. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. You want to see a picture of Christian love? It's spelled out for us here. You see, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22. It's the first one listed. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Then, joy, peace. Now, all those other words that follow, look, and you'll see that it describes love. That's why Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love, because it encompasses everything. Here it is. Love. Now, think of your own love and, and kind of tick off as we go, all right? The fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I'm already out the bus. Gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. How are we going to have this Christian love? The, the Spirit will enable it in us. But you see, we all fall so far short of God's standard. And yet it is possible. He calls us to it in this verse. How does your love measure up to Galatians 5? What do your kids say about your love in Galatians 5? Teenagers, what do your parents say about your love as measured up to Galatians 5? Thirdly, the Apostle says, and we'll go faster through these last few verses because the principles have now been set. He says, action love is undying. In other words, it enables us to love as God intended. Why is practical Christian love undying, says the Apostle? Because the foundation of our love is our regeneration or our rebirth, which in turn is rooted in the imperishable and undying word of God. Go back to our text. You've been born again, verse 23, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. You see, in human birth, we've got two parents. I'm not going to explain how that works now. But, we are born from human seed, which is perishable. It is death-touched. It is a seed which brings with it decay, destruction, and death. And Peter quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 6, in verses 24 and 25, to contrast man's temporary status as opposed to the enduring nature of God's Word. All he's doing in those next few verses is just illustrating how enduring God's Word is and how temporary we are as mankind. And he's saying, we were born physically of perishable seed. You only need to stand in front of the mirror if you don't believe me and watch over time what happens. You see, our glory quickly falls away. Our, we are so transitory. We are so frail and so temporal. We are born of perishable seed. And God's Word endures forever as opposed to us. And here it is. God's Word the seed of God's Word has been planted in us. So the seed in us is an imperishable seed. And because we've got an imperishable seed in us, that is the foundation on which we are to love 
with a love which is enduring as God's word is imperishable. You see where he gets it from? He's not just making it up. He's basing it on God's word. The seed that is planted in us is the enduring and living seed of truth, says Luke 8 verse 11. It's God's self-revelation which has been put into us. And this word is a good news that was preached to you. You see, in spiritual birth, we've also got two parents. Who are they? The Holy Spirit, who is the source of our rebirth, and then God's word, which is the means of our rebirth. You cannot get born again without God's word being put in you through the Holy Spirit. You see, that is why we preach here week in, week out. doesn't matter what other people are doing. We will preach God's Word because God's Word is the means of salvation. As the Holy Spirit takes this Word and the, the text here actually says the uttered Word, that is the preached or taught Word, He takes that Word and He changes that in us into salvation and rebirth. He makes it alive. James 1 verse 18 says, He brought us forth by the word of truth. And that is why, as long as I am here, we will preach the word from this church, from this pulpit. It is the means of salvation. Now, says the Apostle Peter, love one another in obedience to God's revealed word. You have the undying seed of God's word in you. Now, let it bear fruit in you and love one another with genuine undying love rooted in the nature of God who is inside of you. Do you get what Peter is saying here? You see, true Christian action love cannot be self-centered and individualistic. I've heard it time and time again. Oh no, I don't go to church anymore because no, I'm alright. We we, we're, we're right at home. We can just get on, on ourselves. No, you can't. God's word has said you need to be with other believers so that you can be obedient to Him and show undying love to them. So let's just be obedient to Him. Yes, they might have hurt you, but come back so that you can be hurt again, so that you can be loved again by those same believers. God says we must do it. Why? It's just a transitory time, and then we'll be with Him forever. So you're telling me you can't even exist this little bit with other believers. What are you going to do in heaven one day? Yes, we're going to be without sin, But you are now living in disobedience. And I know I'm preaching to the converted here. The others are out there. If you see them, give them my message. You see, this Christian love that we're speaking about here is an undying love which exists in Christian fellowship. This Christian love is an enduring love. It doesn't stop when it's insulted. It doesn't stop when it is injured by a fellow believer or when disagreements occur. It doesn't say, we aren't speaking to each other anymore because we disagree on theology or we don't speak to each other anymore because they sing those terrible songs at that church. So no, I don't speak to them anymore. Or the colour of the curtains. And I'm not even going to go there. That's why we don't have any of You see, this Christian love that we're speaking about forgives the offence of a fellow believer repeatedly. Have you heard me? It forgives repeatedly, over and over. It doesn't say, that's it, I can't love it anymore, it is one time too many, I'm out of here. It doesn't do that. It loves over and over and over. What did Jesus do? He was insulted, he was scourged, he was mocked. What did he do? Did he lash out? He loved over and over. 
And those weren't even believers, they were unbelievers. This Christian love that the Apostle is speaking about is consistent. It doesn't say, and I've actually heard this, Ah, oh, brother, I love the word, but I hate being with a church. How pious. You see, the two are inextricably one. They are bound up together. You can't love the word and hate the church, and you can't love the church and get there for the social stuff, but hate the preaching of the word because the two are tied together. The church is people, and you and I are commanded to love God's word and to love God's people with the same enduring, undying love. Now, for my final piece, let's look to 1 John 3. If nothing has convinced you yet, this will. We read it earlier today. 1 John 3. What does God's word say about this? You want it clear? You want it practical? Here it is. Verses 14. 1 John 3. 14. How do you know if you're a believer? Here's the answer. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life, that's become a believer, because we love the brethren. Interesting. So how do you know if you're a believer or not? How do you love those around you who are believers? That'll give you an indication. He who does not love abides in death. Now, that verse cannot exist in isolation. It must be true because it ties up with the rest of Scripture. Verse 15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, We know love by this. What is the example of our love? That Christ Jesus himself, he laid down his life for us. We weren't even loved. We weren't even loving him then. And we ought to lay, lay down our lives for the brethren. Lay down your life. Verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods, here's practical for you, okay? Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And then the clincher, verse 18. Little children. Let us not love with word and with tongue, but in deed and truth. You see the Apostle saying here, and this is just an expanded version of what he's been saying in these verses. He says, you have been purified through your new birth and the living word which is inside of you. Now, purify yourselves daily through the love that you show towards your brothers and sisters in Christ by meeting their needs through self-sacrificing practical acts of kindness. And if you do that, the Spirit who lives within you will enable you to carry on loving even when that love is not shown to you. In other words, love each other as Christ loved you. What did He do? He gave Himself for you when you were still in sin. He died for you. Let's practice that obedient love here at Wanganui East. When people walk through these doors, may they know that Wanganui East is a church where people love me. When they walk through here, we greet them. We don't just say, how are you today? All right, next. We genuinely are concerned for those people. 
When we see someone having tea here, standing on their own, let's get around them, find out, how's it going? Tell them about yourself. Invite them to your home for a meal. Be practical in your living before people. You don't have to put out a splash out meal there. You can put lettuce leaves and bread, but that done with love will be being obedient to God. That's all he calls us to. Not a flash dinner. Love each other practically. Ask around if you hear of need in the church and you can meet it in some way. Be obedient to 1 John 3.18. If you've got the goods of this world, give. doesn't have to be a big pomp and ceremony like the Pharisees did, standing on the street corners praying. You come to the elders and you say, I'd like to give to that person or that person. Can you make sure it gets there, please? We'll do it quietly. Or if you don't know who to give to, we do as elders. Come and say, I can help in this, that or the other way. Someone's given me half a beast. I want to give you some meat to donate it to someone. Can you make sure it gets to someone who's in need? That's practical love, isn't it? If you know that someone's running a bit short this month and they can't get here, give us some money for petrol vouchers. We'll get it to them. That's practical Christian love. But let's be obedient to God's word. Let's not just have idea love. Let's have action love. Let's pray together. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you that when you made us one of yours, when you brought us from death to life, you were showing us practical love. How you were willing to die for us, even when we were willing to scorn you only. And Lord, now in this text today, you call us to practical obedience. You say, now go and do likewise. And Lord, we have to say before you, we haven't always obeyed that command. We have seen need and passed by on the other side of the road. We have seen need and ignored it because we could live more comfortably then. It didn't put us through a stretching time. But Lord, help us to be obedient to you indeed. To purify ourselves before you as we are obedient to your truth. And Lord, here at Wanganui East, my prayer is that we will be known as a loving church. A church who looks after not just those inside the church, but who sees need out there and where we can, we meet those needs too. And yes, it's going to put us in a time of stretching. But Lord, we know that we can hold on to you, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we can look to you for our everyday daily bread. And that you will provide if we are obedient. Lord, may we be a loving church. We pray. Amen. We're going to sing of God's love as Dave comes up here.